This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. I'm sure we have those watching today for the first time, and we thank you for tuning in. We thank those of you who watch every time Getting to Know Your Bible is on. And today we're going to discuss a subject that I know that you're going to enjoy us discussing today, the greatest thing in the world. What is the greatest thing in the world? We're going to talk about that today. Stay tuned. Now we are going to dis- uh, mention today the free Bible correspondence course that we offer. And I would like to encourage you to listen carefully as we dis- uh, give information about the Bible course, how will we receive it? We want to pause for just a moment so you can get that information. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 365 Eight zero, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read now from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. In the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, there was the enumeration of nine spiritual gifts given to the Christians in Corinth. But in the 32nd verse, or the 31st verse, rather, of that chapter, Paul said, yet I show you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is talked about in chapter 13, where Paul discusses in detail the greatest thing in the world. I want you to notice verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The church at Corinth was going through some hard times. There were all kinds of things that were wrong with the church at Corinth. If you study the first chapter, you learn there was division in the church. 
One saying that I am of Paul, another saying that I am of Apollos, another saying I am of Cephas, another saying I am of Christ. And Paul asked the question, is, is Christ divided? Christ should not be divided. The church should not be divided over their preacher. In the third chapter, he talked about the problem of immaturity. That he could not speak to them as, to, as mature Christians, but as carnal people. In the fifth chapter, there was a problem of immorality in the church. In the sixth chapter, there were those that were going to law one against another. In the seventh chapter, there were questions about marriage that, was be, that were being raised. In the tenth chapter, there was a problem of unfaithfulness. In the eleventh chapter, there was the abuse of the Lord's Supper, turning it into a common feast. And then in the 12, 13, and 14th chapters, there was discussion about the spiritual gifts in the church. In the 12th chapter, there was the enumeration of those gifts. In the 13th chapter, there was the duration of those gifts. In the 14th chapter, the regulation of those gifts. In the 15th chapter, there was discussion about some things being taught about the resurrection of the dead. So there were different subjects that were a problem to the church at Corinth. I find it interesting that it was to a church with so many difficulties that the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, devoted an entire chapter to the subject of love. And he begins that chapter by talking about the essentiality of it. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. You see, God is concerned not only about what we do, He's concerned about why we do it. He's concerned about our motive. Why Paul said, if I were to speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I didn't have love, it's useless. I'm just like a, a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy and knowledge and I had faith so that I could remove mountains, but I didn't have love, why well, he said, I'm nothing. I am absolutely nothing. And if I gave my body to be burned, and if I bestowed all my goods to feed the poor, but I did not have love, it profits me nothing. So God is concerned not only about what we do in life, He wants to know why we do it. And then Paul gives some characteristics of love. I've often thought a good way to read verses 4 through 8 would be like this. I suffer long, I'm kind. I do not envy, I do not parade myself, I'm not puffed up, I do not behave rudely, I do not seek my own, I'm not uh, provoked, I do not think evil, I do not rejoice in iniquity, I rejoice in the truth that I bear all things, I believe all things, I hope all things, and I endure. You see, because these are characteristics of love. Love is what we do. Why, well, Paul said that love is patient. I think when we're patient, that means that I have within myself the power to avenge myself of some wrong that I have suffered. 
But because I love, I just refuse to do it. I refuse to do it. He said love is kind. Origen said that means that love is sweet to all. Well, love ought to be kind. There's a passage that my wife and I had our children to memorize when they were small. And when they would get into a little fuss among themselves, we would have them quote that passage. That verse is Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if all of us would memorize those, that passage of Scripture and that we would apply that Scripture, love is kind. In Romans 12 and 11, Paul said that we ought to be kindly affectioned one toward another. Be kind. Love is kind. And in Proverbs 31 26, we're told about a worthy woman that the law of kindness is in her tongue. But then Paul says that love does not envy. Someone has said that there are two classes of people in the world, people that are millionaires and people that want to be. And that there's two kinds of envy. One kind of envy is the kind that covets what you have and they want it. The other kind of envy is the kind where the person that not necessarily wants to have what you have, they just don't want you to have it. Envy is a terrible thing. It's a terrible sin. Envy was involved in the death of Jesus. He knew that for envy, they had delivered him up, Matthew chapter 27. And envy is described by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30 as rottenness of the bones. It's like a cancer in your soul. And envy will destroy you. In all probability, I'm speaking to someone right now who's got envy in their heart. Maybe they're envious of someone who lives near them. Maybe they're envious of someone they work with. But envy will destroy you. It will destroy you. A number of years ago, I read the story about a town that erected a monument to a young athlete that had excelled from their town, and they built a statue down in the square. And one night, there was one of that young man's fellow athletes that went down and he was so envious because the town had built a monument to this young man and not to him that he went down there to destroy that monument. And trying to move it off of its pedestal, it, it fell over on top of that young man and it killed him. You, it would be proper to say that he was killed by envy. But love does not know envy. Love is not a braggart. It doesn't feel how important it is. It doesn't feel its importance. It doesn't parade itself before other people. And then Paul said that love is not puffed up. You know, Paul said a man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Some people do. I think Napoleon is a man who thought more highly of himself than he ought to think. It is reported that he said one day that I'm not a man like other men. If he had stopped there, he would have been telling the truth. But he went on to say the laws of morality do not apply to me. And that's where he was wrong. He was puffed up. Then love is not rude. Not rude. Love is sensitive toward the feelings of other people. 
Wouldn't it be a better world if we were more sensitive to the feelings of other people? Some think that there must be a reward offered for trying to hurt the feelings of some individual. But there isn't a reward for trying to hurt somebody else's feelings. We ought to be sensitive about it. Why don't you just practice Matthew 7 and 12? You wouldn't want anybody hurting your feelings. So why would you want to hurt the feelings of another? Jesus said, Whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them. Don't hurt people. Don't be rude. Be sensitive. There was a family that was going to have the preacher over for an evening meal. And the mother was saying to her, Son, now son, we're having the preacher over, and I want to give you some words of instruction. The preacher has a nose that is unusually large. He is very sensitive about his nose. Whatever you do, son, please, please, do not even look at his nose because he is so sensitive about it and we don't want to hurt his feelings. And she went over that a number of times to make sure that her son got it. So finally the preacher came over they sat down to eat, and she turned to the preacher and she said, Brother Knows, will you please lead us in prayer? Well, I'm sure that the preacher's feelings may have been hurt. Well, we may smile about that, but we need to be sensitive and not rude. Love does not insist on its own rights. In other words, love is not self-seeking. In Philippians, the second chapter, Paul said that we ought to look not only on our own things, but also on the things of others. Now, that's not the way our world is geared up anymore. Our world is geared up to look out for number one. You go down to get a hamburger, and they tell you you can have it your way. You see, it's a world that's centered around the individual. Everybody wants their rights, but that's not the way love is. Love does not insist on its rights. Then Paul said that love does not fly into a temper. It does not get exasperated with people. Do you remember the poem by Kipling, the little poem that's called If? And there is a, a line in there that goes something like this. If if you can keep your head when all of those around you are losing your, theirs and blaming on you, well, then you're a man. Well, you see, love ought to be that way. And then Paul said that love does not store up a memory of wrongs that have been suffered. Why would you want to use your mind as a garbage can? Why, why would you want to hang on to to a, a wrong that you suffered maybe years ago and let that fester in your mind and fester in your heart. And I can promise you, if you're doing that, it's caused you no small trouble. Love isn't that way. Love doesn't store up wrongs that have been suffered. Love learns to forgive. Let me read Ephesians 4, 32 again. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you.
Jesus said to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But he went on a few verses later to say, if we forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Why do we want to hold on to the wrongs that we've suffered? Why not move on? I read somewhere that the Polynesians used to keep things inside their, in their huts that would remind them of wrongs that they had suffered at the hands of their enemies. Why in the world would you want to do that? Love is not like that. Love does not keep a record of wrongs that, have been, uh, that have, they have suffered. And then love does not take pleasure in wrongdoing. It does not take pleasure in evil doing, but rather it takes pleasure with the truth. In Romans 12 and 9, Paul said that we ought to, not, uh, we ought to shun the, the, the things that are wrong. He, he said, uh, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So love does not take pleasure in things that are wrong, but it rejoices with things that are true. And then love bears all things. It bears all things. But you see, if we love, we're going to bear up under the insults and the injuries that come our way. Someone says, well, that doesn't ever happen to you, does it, brother? Absolutely it happens. Sometimes I have people to write me letters that are nothing more than insults. But you know, I love them anyway. We've got to move on. You can't let dwell on those kinds of things because they will ruin your day and they will ruin your mind. They will ruin your heart and they can cause you to lose your soul. You have to bear up under those things. And then love is trusting. We ought to believe the very best about other people. Love should be trusting. I ought to believe, believe the best about you until it's proven to me otherwise. For example, here's a man whose neighbor is in trouble. The man, the man that lives next door has been injured in an accident at work. He's been rushed to the hospital. And so the man who has been injured's wife comes to the neighbor next door and says, my husband has been injured at work. Can you take me to the hospital? So this man agrees to take this other man's wife to the hospital. So they're seen going through town on the way to the hospital. And some nosy person in town sees them. And then they begin to spread the rumor that they're running around with one another when the fact is they did not know what was going on. They did not know the truth, and they did not believe the best about those two people. And that's the kind of thing that can ruin one's reputation. Love believes the best. It trusts people. I was in a meeting one time in Mississippi a number of years ago, back when you would have day services during a gospel meeting. You'd preach in the morning, you'd preach at night. Maybe we need to go back to that. We need more preaching today, not less preaching. But I was staying in the motel, and there was a knock on my door, and there was a man standing there, and he said, Brother Lambert, I'd like to talk to you before the morning service. He said, I, I, I drive a taxi in town, and I found out later that he, 
drove the only taxi they had in town. And he said, my wife and myself and my children would like to be baptized this morning. Well, I said, that's wonderful. And we talked for a while, and then finally we had, he had to leave in order to get to the service, and so did I. And they were baptized that morning. The next morning, about the same time, there was another knock on my door. And when he knocked on my door, I asked him to come in, and he said, Brother Lambert, he said, I'm so upset. He said, no, you know, yesterday when, when I was here, there were some men downtown that saw my taxi here at the motel, and they began to spread the rumor that I was up here with a woman. I said, don't you worry about that at all. He said, well, they wouldn't believe I was up here talking to a preacher. I said, don't worry. I said, you know what they were doing? He said, no, I really don't. I said, they were judging you based on what they would have been doing if they had been up here at the motel. They just didn't want to believe the best about you. You see, love believes the best. And then love never ceases to hope. It hopes all things. And we need to instill hope in people today. If there's one thing we need in these modern times, it's hope, hope for the future. I remember reading a story once about a man who went into a classroom and he was looking at the students in that classroom and he pointed to one of the boys in the room and he asked the teacher about that young man and he said, that's the stupidest boy in the class. And that man went over to that young man and he placed his hand on his head and he said, young man, you're going to grow up to be a great Bible scholar. I have an idea that if there are preachers watching this telecast right now that, that many, if not most of them, had a, have a set of Adam Clark commentaries. You see, he was that little boy. But somebody instilled hope in him. We need to instill hope in our children, in our community. We need to instill hope in people today that feel so very hopeless. Love never ceases to hope. But then love endures. Love never gives up. Maybe you are about to give up on your marriage right now. I've, talked to, I've had people to call me and tell me that. I remember about 1985, the very first night that we went on air with a television program. That was before we were on in a national sense. And the very first person that called that night told me, I was about to leave my husband, but I heard you preach tonight. And although that's been a number of years ago, I still remember what she said to me. She said, you read out of the 127th Psalm. And I listened to what you said. And I was about to leave my husband and I was about to leave my children. As a matter of fact, I already have the keys to an apartment. But after listening tonight, Brother Lambert, I'm going to go back home to my husband and going back home to my children. You see, what we need to do is give people some hope for the home today. And there is hope. There is hope, and there's hope for those that feel so hopeless today about their lives. They're not sure what the future holds. I don't know what the future holds, but I can tell you I know who holds the future. Love endures. On one occasion, Winston Churchill went to speak at 
at a preparatory school. And the man in, dear, in introducing him, no doubt, talked on and on. Because you think of how all that you could say about Winston Churchill. And finally it came time for, for this great man to stand and speak. And he stood and he said, young gentleman, never, never, never give up. And then he sat down. What a speech. What a sermon. What a message. Never, ever give up. And love never, ever gives up. I would plead with you not to give up on your children. I would plead with you not to give up on your husband. Don't give up on your wife. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your life. It may be some watching right now that are just about ready to give up on life itself. You're so depressed and so despondent, but I want you to know that you need to keep on keeping on. Love endures. Love indeed is the greatest thing in all the world. There were certain gifts that Paul talked about in chapter 12 that were going to cease. When that which is perfect is come, when there was full revelation of truth, there would not be the need for supernatural knowledge and prophecy and the like. But he said, Now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. You see, love is the greatest thing in the world. And we are to love God with all of our heart. That's the greatest commandment in all the world. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you have enough love for Jesus that you'd keep his commandments? Do you have enough love for Jesus that you believe in him? As he orders us to do or commands us to do in John 8, 24, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Do you love Jesus enough that you'd repent of your sins? He said, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you'll perish. You have enough love for Jesus that you confess faith in Him as, he, as the Son of the living God, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And do you love Him enough that you would allow some servant of God to immerse you in water for the remission of your sins that would put you into Jesus Christ, Galatians three twenty seven? How much do you love Jesus today? If you love me, He said, keep my commandments. Jesus said, He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. I want to thank you for watching today. I want to encourage you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And right now, pick up the telephone. Call for the free Bible correspondence course. You'll never regret it. It could be the greatest thing you've ever done. I want to thank you for watching. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 
3-6-5-8-0. Or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.